I feel bad for for these Apple people because you know they've they've drank the Kool Aid. They live in a silo, and like he's explaining it like. Yeah, the stand has all these awesome features, and we're only selling it for a thousand dollars. And people go, "Boo!" And he's like, "Wait, what? You what?" You're listening to episode 155 of PHP Ugly. I am your host, Tom Rideout, and here with me, as always, my two best buddies, Eric Van Johnson. Oh, oh, hey, how, how, how And John Condon. Hello, hello. How, I realize I do that every every episode. You make fun of me for what I say every episode. That's, that's yeah. right. Nope. Thomas, I'm envious, man. I'm super envious. You're definitely one of those guys who, when you get a haircut, you trim up the beard, you probably shave off about five years uh, from your age. You look like a child. Yeah, it, it works well. I'm... I'm with it yeah yeah you're looking good if you're watching watching the stream we have the the cleaner cleaner shaven right out today so well how you guys been doing we haven't uh haven't talked in a couple weeks yeah i know we took last week off that's huh? my fault i apologize had to had to run back out to arizona you know you know how it is family Family emergencies, last minute stuff, so. But yeah, every, yep. everything's good. Um, mom's doing doing better. But good. Yeah. Sorry, sorry about on you guys last week, but we're back. We got some good we got some exciting stuff going on. Yeah. It actually worked out better for me that we did miss because I was doing getting ready for my kids' fifth birthday party, so I had to do some paper mache. Five years old. That's yeah. that's hard to believe. Dude, this is had to make a pinata. This is when it hits hyperdrive, man. I'm telling you, they hit five, and then next thing you know, you're you're at you're at the you know elementary school graduation, middle school graduation, high school graduation. It's like boom, boom, boom. It just comes right at you. Slow down. Oh, no, there's no more slowing down. That's you're, you don't need you don't need to speed this up. Oh. I know he had his preschool graduation certificate pass up. The other day, I still disagree and with that. <laughs> it wasn't a graduation. It wasn't a walk thing. It was just, hey, here's a certificate. It, it was fine. John showed up in his uh, bathrobe, just like, am I supposed to be here? <laughs> now, just so you know that if you get into it was the pretty band, bad. If you get into the band programs for elementary school, they're about four hours long. Those the concerts you have to go to the the, re- the recitals yeah everyone yeah everyone gets the solo everyone gets to introduced with a story about them it's the one of the nicest things about high school right now is that the the band program it's about thirty minutes it's a tight thirty five maybe and they don't try to sell you anything you don't get to meet every single kid in the band they just play four songs and then they wave goodbye <laughs> it's which is it now that's a shame on its own because now they're actually really good. Yeah. Listening to the high school band is enjoyable. <laughs> so note to self, don't put kids in music class. Got it. Right. I I can read between the lines. That's, that's my takeaway. <laughs> Wait, I thought I was taken away. You were given that the information. Well, that's the takeaway. Yeah, you just confuse me. Uh, okay. Be careful. I'm very easily confused right now. <laughs> 
So how's everybody? Uh, how's everybody's coding world? Busy. Mine has been horrible for two weeks. Busy, horrible, really? exciting. I have exciting. Yeah. So let's start with uh, let's start with horrible. John, what's been what's well, been your horrors? Mine, mine, mine's not really coding per se. It's getting this project out of jQuery hell. Ah, you're still working on that. It's still working on it. That there, I don't know how much I've talked about it on here, but every page seems to have a different version of jQuery all the way down to 1.3 on some pages, 1.7 on others, 1.10, 1.11 on some. And it's just, it's ridiculous trying to clean it. One, get all that cleaned up, get all the deprecated stuff fixed, and trying to get up to version 3.4. So we're making that minor jump to 1.12, getting that as clean as we can, and then jump into 3.4 with a, a migration plugin that, you know, polyfills in there so it continues to work. So I'm not I'm not familiar a, with the uh, jQuery migration path. What's the uh, what's so special about 112? You cut out there, but I assume what you asked was 112 versus 34. Yeah, I said I'm not really familiar with the uh, jQuery upgrade path. What is what what makes 112 a special number that allows you to jump to 34? Uh, 112 was the last 1.x branch. There wasn't much in 2. I don't even know what the version 2 was. Then they jumped to version 3. And 3.4 is just available. That's what they're up to now. That Where where there aren't any known vulnerabilities. Gotcha, gotcha. The, the entire 1.x branch has CSRF vulnerabilities i believe yeah i keep or, getting warnings about that from github on my like little sample project yeah so outside of having to change they they removed kind of like laravel did they removed all the helpers so there were shortcuts instead of having to say uh dot on uh click you could you used to be able to just say dot click so fixing all of those Fixing the hovers and all the other sh- uh, shorthand ways of calling these functions or uh, events. Fixing that up and then all the dependency hell that you get into because we're relying on dependencies that are, you know, three, four, five years old that have been abandoned. Perfectly normal. It's just not been fun. I can tell you that. And we have a deadline of next week. Uh, self-imposed deadline, or, or is there an actual reason for the deadline? Actual reason. We're, this is all being done because Salesforce has strict security requirements. And they ran a, a spider or a bot to see what versions of stuff you're using. Mm-hmm. And then they compare it against... Uh, known vulnerabilities that hey you're you're potentially vulnerable to this and what whether we are or not I don't know right so got to get all that cleaned up why are you why are you laughing Thomas potentially vulnerable I I just love the I mean explaining to somebody that you don't use the thing that's that's broken isn't gonna 
dissuade anybody. <laughs> right. It's we know you're using this library. There, there's a potential that you're, you're vulnerable. So fix it. Yeah, that was like, that uh, was an, an issue I ran into today, actually, where I sort of I saw a place in the code that if someone else wasn't paying attention, then they could implement the library wrong. And I said, well, you know, I can just update it to have a mutator on it, so, you know, it's not an issue. And I was told, no, you're the only one implementing it, so as long as you do it, do it implement it correctly on the other side, then we're fine. <laughs> okay, I guess. <laughs> All right, well, Thomas... Why, why fix it when you can just hopefully not break it? Yeah, well, it's, you don't have to repair the broken slots on a bridge if you jump over them. <laughs> That's one way to look at it, I guess. Yeah. So you said you had that, that, you said you had a busy week, Thomas. What was uh, your... yeah? That that gets into it. The our busy week is we're implementing a, a big new system, and I mean we probably have a thousand tickets on the Trello board for this thing, and it's just been nonstop, you know, text changes, functionality changes in the middle of the testing, and massive. Massive amount of work to, to put out. Lots of uh, business logic that's changing on the fly. So, you know, Monday I'll implement something and Tuesday I'll be told to remove it and Wednesday I'll put something else in place. So it's, it's a very fast-paced development cycle on this project. You like that? I love it. I always have something to do. I always have a ticket to move. It's, I'm not sitting there reading and reading and researching stuff. I am writing code, lots and lots of code. Cool. cool. Um, the only issue is that we do have one seeder that is, is feeding the entire thing. Um, and it's 8,479 lines long. Holy smokes. Dude, just... So, when we decided that we needed to change one of our columns, JSON values, I, I couldn't really just go one at a time changing that. I had to write up a regular expression to do a replace in the editor. And I, that's happened a couple times. Mm -hmm. I love regular expressions. I do not. Why not? I mean, I love that they exist, but they are they're not the friendliest thing to work with. I think they are once you then understand you're doing it wrong. them. Yeah. Am yeah. I? Means you haven't been using Vim enough. That's all it means. <laughs> <laughs> How's your week been? Mine's been fantastic. Mine my, my week I, I I've I've been accomplishing things, I've been trying new things. Uh been going real well. I have my first real-world implementation of a serverless application out there that I'm running side-by-side -side to its sister app, which is the exact same application uh, written on the exact same framework uh, using Laravel. Uh, of course, the serverless one has a few tweaks to it to allow it to run on serverless, and the serverless one also doesn't use a MySQL database. I have it using DynoDB. But besides that, they're the exact same application, 
And I got to tell you, I'm super excited about this. Um, just the, just that situation right there, without even working through whatever I can do to optimize performance, just kind of that first pass of, pass of coding to get these endpoints out there so that our mobile team can start developing uh, their application to talk to it. The serverless application runs a tad faster than the EC2 instance. Um, when it's when it hits when you hit the serverless API endpoint in its code, it runs about a second longer than the EC2 instance. But after that, it runs a clean second to two seconds faster than the EC2 instance. And that's pretty nice. I'm very happy with it. So where I was, I thought my next step was going to be to go down another language path that that was designed to run on serverless and i started started a small project and go but then i'm like you know what let me give this one more pass and just plain php uh where i'm trying to optimize the the calls and so that's kind of where i'm at right now and, and hopefully i'll have that done in the next day or two and just to see how, how much better i can get that over mm -hmm. Uh, the framework itself, but but even with the framework, I'm not I'm not disappointed. I mean, ideally, I mean, end of day, if I had to, I could easily deploy the serverless version, and it's still it's still better than the EC2 version. It's still better than what we are planning on going with. So, so the so the rewriting it in vanilla PHP is really just a test to see how much quicker i can get it to go yeah and it's funny because it's been so long since i've started a project that wasn't either a um a, a package for an existing framework or something this is the first time i've just started a project from scratch that wasn't a framework or a package to a framework and it's just like the simple things i'm like Oh, you know, I, I'm having to pull in a package to talk to the uh, DynoDB. And in Laravel, this was pretty simple because uh, the package for DynoDB tied into the Laravel Eloquent system and models. So once I pulled in the package and I gave it the credentials, then it was just a regular Laravel model at that point. I just spun up a model. I was able to use eloquent calls to, to call my records. Now I had to pull in a package and say, wait a minute, I gotta put in, I gotta type in all this stuff so it makes the connection to the database. Come on, man. You, you know, <laughs> so I'm, I'm having to, I'm having to, you know, embrace that uh, process again, but it's, it's funny how much how um, I, I I always talk about well I, I always blame PHP Storm for you know I feel like I become a weaker developer the longer I use PHP Storm and really the same thing is true with frameworks the more I use frameworks the weaker of a PHP developer I feel like I am and I feel I felt that today as I was starting from scratch and like and it wasn't even like a weak thing it was just like how frustrated I was getting that I actually have to, you know, type out a full connection string to, to connect to DynoDB. It's like, come on. 
Yeah, you should just have this built in by now. Come on. But that that came up interestingly on internals, where someone was saying, "Oh, their connection string was getting leaked by my MySQL error," mm-hmm. and the internals group was basically like, "Yeah, this is a programming language, not a framework. It's you're supposed to handle this shit on your own." Right. Like. This isn't WordPress, buddy. Go away. Exactly, and and, and you, that's stuff you got to think. Of. That's another perfect example. Yeah, you've got to catch it because if you don't catch it and you don't handle it, it's just going to puke out everything and tell the world, you know, your secret. Yeah, yeah. It's it's it was an interesting discussion on the on the internals threads because a lot of people were saying, well, you know, a blank page isn't the right way to handle user errors either and then people with actual experience and weight to the conversation came in and said this is a programming language still stop complaining about it doing exactly what it's supposed to do yeah. like yeah so but th- that has me writing a little bit of a coding high this week and then um uh we uh, John and I, we did uh, the PHP podcast today as well. We re- we recorded that, and um, that was really good. So I, I know I've been pimping PHP Architect lately, and I'm gonna have to. I, I'm really gonna have to pimp it one more time to you guys because this latest episode, uh, latest episode, yes, the latest episode of PHP uh, podcast you want to listen to for sure. But no, the latest uh, edition of PHP Architect was just such. It was it's such a chock full, great edition of things that it was probably one of the more exciting PHP podcasts we had to do because there was just so much to talk about. Um, yeah, good. Article article after article. I mean, they were all good this this month. Yeah, yeah. Rob Allen he continued his serverless uh, series where he actually writes an application. Unfortunately, I was a little ahead of him. So Rob, he he inspired me when we we interviewed him last month for PHP Architect, and he inspired me to jump back into serverless because, as we discussed today, I had done probably a dozen or so hello worlds in a wide variety of languages, but I still hadn't done anything substantial with serverless. And after talking to Rob, I'm like, you know what? This project I'm working on right now is a perfect a perfect example of what could be serverless. And so that started me down that path. And I was so excited. So it was nice to see Rob's follow-up article because he actually he actually touched on a couple things that A, a I was struggling with and B that were just good ideas. Like, you know, he he introduced a make file into his which I was explaining on the show today. It's like I have a couple of friends and, and TJ Miller is a big, big proponent of the make file and when i was doing a lot of a lot of docker stuff and tj was helping me out he was like oh yeah man just make a make file and i'm like damn i had forgotten about make files and like how how useful they are to have around and so he's like yeah i, I make make files for everything and yeah he, he gave me examples so turns out rob does the same thing for his serverless projects because of the way you deploy and clean and all this other stuff he just made a make file that does it all that was that was good, but yeah, it's great. They have they have another article in there 
it's, it's another one of these articles where I'm like, God, I, I really, I think I'm good at my job, but I'm freaking fucking terrible at what I do. Uh, it was about uh, array mapping, array, uh, array reduce, array map, array walk, um, and, and basically not using for each, and instead using array map, array reduce, array walk. Right. And, and I'm like. I read that article and I've seen those functions so many times. I'm like, why am I not using this? This is such a nicer way of coding. And here I am like a chump doing four each loops every every couple of uh, functions. So I get into that every once in a while, but I've I've keep finding that for each is so predictable. I know exactly the way it's going to behave. And the array stuff can be really inconsistent in how it assigns or overrides or handles uh, associative. Um, you know, like array map will modify the existing array that you pass in, but array walk will return. Or maybe uh, maybe the, I have the, that backwards. Oh, there other way around, yeah. Right, that's my problem. As, as long as you as long as you pass by reference on array walk. I see. I don't want to deal with that. For me, for each is just like it's readable. You say it's doing this, it's taking this and doing it. Yeah, the the points that were made in the article, I think, were around uh, readability and less chance of introducing errors. And then, actually, on the the show, the PHP podcast show, we were talking to Oscar about it, and he brought up another great point of because you're dealing working with enclosures there's less chance of changing a variable elsewhere in your scope mm -hmm. where often in a for each you might you know oh i, I just want to alter this right here and then forget it's going to be used later on or yeah which i've, like I've done plenty of times mm -hmm. um but the the, well, the habit i have of not using else prevents helps prevent that when you assign a default value to a variable and then you do an if and override the default value for the variable. But these are, these yes, are but for each loop. Yeah, you're in a for each loop, not an if then or if else. Well, no, but it, in, in my for each loops, if I have logic where a variable changes, I will use default values for everything and then change the value based off of ifs. Mm. So my default value always gets queued up first. Gotcha. I see what you're saying. But that's a habit of yeah. mine that helps. It's not necessarily something that people should rely on. Right. And, and you're only talking about default values. We're talking, this is more about you're changing. You could be changing something in your array by mistake. You could be changing so just some other random value by, by mistake without realizing what's going to happen yeah. after or your for each loop so again i i see lots of people using those uh those functions a lot and i often was the same way like for each is just easier i know it i'm that's just how i'm going to do it and I, I explained on the show today that i've actually seen people try to change for each loops within the application I mainly work on to use some of these functions and screw it up because they didn't understand the logic. 
So it made it made me more resistant to actually switching mm -hmm. or taking advantage of it. Hmm. So then well, we, anyway. we have all this exciting stuff going on and um, Laravel uh, UK was also happening this week and uh freck was was live streaming it um on his uh one of one of the social media accounts i forget which one it, it is that lets you live stream but i was watching it and um somebody in discord said hey taylor just said simver's coming to laravel i'm like what and he's like yeah he, he said you know like 95 percent i'm like wait what does that 95 percent He's the owner of Laravel. Either it is or isn't coming. What do you mean 95%? When he finally waits for a community consensus, it's on the wrong thing. <laughs> so uh, I went back and um, I watched the video. And yeah, sure enough, he said that uh, probably starting with Laravel 6, he will go with Simver versioning. Um, and it's, it's funny, but I understand the concern. First off, across the board, Ecstatic about this, right? I mean, uh, I'm really yeah, happy. Couldn't be happier, right? This is fantastic. Um, he's worried that you know, with because he, if I understood what he was trying to convey, he's not planning on slowing down his development practice and development site. So essentially, what he's going to do is, whenever he has a backwards breaking change, he's going to up the version and. You know, he expressed some concerns about, well, now Laravel is going to go from 6 to 7 to 8 to 9. You know, just like boom, 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 boom. Great, great. Exactly. That's like, yeah, that's what's supposed to happen when you put back, backwards breaking changes in. That's what you do. That's perfect. <laughs> so. Uh, I, mean, I remember using Pro, you know, Paint Pro when it was version 25 or something in the 90s well that's fine i mean look at your chrome look at your firefox now i mean firefox is you know up to like version 58 i mean they they crank out ma right. major releases every week now it's that's the way it is because people understand that versioning practice and people can build up workflows and development practices against them so yes we understand. photoshop is photoshop is 20 right now right so yes, That's fine. everybody. And I think it's going to be a hard thing for some Laravel developers to wrap their head around because they're not used to it. It's going to be a scary thing. I'm like, there's part of me that was like, you should have been way scared, but more scared before. Like this isn't scary. You should have been terrified before. <laughs> yeah, when it jumps from Hi. five to thirty, that's when you should realize that it's a scary thing. Mm -mm. You know, when you're stuck 10 versions behind master, then be scared. But that's also an indicator of you should be scared. Right. You're 10 versions behind. So super, super excited. Somebody mentioned it today. I guess Laravel US is in a month, which, yeah, would be right because we are in yeah. June. So really excited. Uh, really excited about going to that now and, uh, and you know, talking to some people. But, man, I, I couldn't be happier to hear yeah. that news. Simver, I, I just dislike that he kept he kept talking about he, the reason he didn't do Simver was for branding purposes, and I just just like it was blowing my mind. Like, how does branding play into this? Yeah, 
Yeah, and, and, and the ironic thing about it is I think he was actually putting more weight into the number than, like, developers were. Like, you know, he saw the 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 progression of Laravel and, okay, this was where we were at four, here's where we're at five, here's where we're at six. And, you know, I think that's what he's seeing in that, this idea of going, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, you know, 9.2, 9 9.3, 10, 10.1, 11, 11.1, 2, 3. Yeah, I think... Yeah, but then the numbers mean nothing. Right. right. Well, I mean, they mean yeah. they mean a lot to us as developers, but to, to John's point, from a marketing perspective, what, you know, it it doesn't really impact your marketing. It's just, if anything... I think he also... I think he, he also mentioned something about adding new features in... To me, you don't have to bump your major version number if you're adding new features. No, right. This backwards only PC breaks. Emmy, I think some some companies, PHP Storm probably being one of them, that do that because they want you to pay to upgrade to the next version, and the only way they're going to do that is if there's something new for you to buy. Ah, I see. So my understanding of it with with Simver is, you know. Basically, this is how I break it down. The first number is backwards, backwards breaking changes that are introduced or, or major revisions to the platform. The second number is, you know, new features are added, uh, you know, but but shouldn't be anything that breaks any existing code. And the third mm -hmm. one is this is just a bug fix, uh, no breaking changes, just you know, fixing house, basically housekeeping of the software. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that, that is, that is how the semantic versioning 2.0 doc defines it. Okay. Um, Perfect. It gets further into detail with, with a uh, major minor patch and then like hot fix and all those things and how you handle backwards breaking patches there's all sorts. Of, I mean, it's it's a four-page doc. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's that's that's basically the rule to it is that backwards compatible changes, uh, new functionality that is forward backward compatible, and then patches that are not new functionality but repair something. Yeah, fundamentally. So in in Discord, I mean, Frank Frank pretty much echoes exactly what I think Taylor is concerned about. He's like, it's so much, it sounds so much better to say, yeah, I'm on Laravel five, or the Laravel five version, than to say, oh yeah, I'm on Laravel thirty three twelve fifteen. You know, and I get that, but really, how often do you have that conversation? <laughs> You're on Laravel. You're on the you're on you're either on the current version of Laravel or you're on an older version of Laravel, you know. It's... Well, but but I've seen companies go even further than that and add a a second major version number. So, if there was if he wanted to maintain this kind of marketing thing, he could call this Laravel one, and then the next time he wanted to do a marketing change, he could call it Laravel two, and Laravel two would be basically the first LTS version of. 38.0.0. Mm. Well, the Symphony 2 was the same way, wasn't it? 
don't know. Didn't, right. Doesn't Symphony still go by Symphony 1, Symphony 2, and Symphony 3? Yeah. But that's not their actual version number. Uh, yeah, that's so. the... So, so they have another major version number in their versioning. Yeah, they have like a product number for it. Um, we have Discord updating. We have all this conversation happening in Discord, and our little Discord thing in the stream doesn't update anymore. Pissing me off. You broke I it. I did. I have, to, I have to remake that. Hmm. Well, no, I guess Symphony does, does still follow Basic Semver. It does. So, so. But I know that I know that when they went from Symphony Three to Symphony Four, they forked the Three branch and continued maintaining it alongside Symphony. 4. But that that makes sense. So, so again, not to go down this whole rabbit hole again, but Symphony is an enterprise implementation of a PHP what? framework. So, so that makes perfect sense. They have enterprise co uh, customers, they have SLAs, they have contractual obligations. So yeah, they fork it, they fork it. The, that development branch doesn't stop. I mean, they continue to, you know, backport patches to it. They, you know, continue to, to work on it. So that makes perfect sense. And that, and that, that's completely re a reasonable approach. So that's, so again, that that's what I was stating as far as Taylor wasn't changing his development cycle. Somebody like Symphony, as they see new features, as they identify new things they want to implement, they say, okay, this is our next, you know, this gets added to our next major version of Symphony. So when Symphony 5 comes out, we're going to have this laundry list of new features that, uh, you know, that, that, are not new features, but you know, big changes, backwards breaking changes, and things like that. Um, so they hold on to those, and they they let them you know they let them stack up, and they release them all as one major release. But um, but it, from what I was hearing with uh, Taylor, he's not planning on doing that. Which is again, it's fine. I'd rather him do that and adhere to Simver than than do what he's currently doing. Eric, you need to talk faster. Talk faster. Faster, go. What, what do you mean? I'm confused. Can you, can you talk? Can you talk at one one point four speed? Come on, let's go. Moving keep on. It, keep it moving. <laughs> Eric, Eric Poe wants to talk, talk I, faster. Let's go. I was telling you guys about my journey into Windows. Yes. How how is your journey into Windows? Talk. I'm catching up in Discord. I'm sorry. I see what everybody's talking about. <laughs> Eric, I'm very sorry. I'll talk faster. It's not only that we're on the podcast, but we're uh, California. You know, in Californians, we we tend to slow it down a little bit, man. There's a lot of things to appreciate in the world, dude. You, you these are good also friends. Also, very easily distracted. Good friends, man. I'm not looking to squirrel get rid of them or anything, man. But I understand. I appreciate you. you're probably you're probably a New Yorker or something or somewhere somewhere like that. You just want to get the information to move on. I, I understand that. How's Windows? How's Windows going, Go. Thomas? <laughs> I I am completely. <laughs> I I got so lost, so confused, so deep into it. Really? I was just down a total rabbit hole. What were you trying to do? It's a freaking desktop, man. What were you doing? I was trying to get Vagrant working 
in the Ubuntu WSL instance. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I, I'm glad you brought this up because uh, we have uh, a developer who had all sorts of problems between Vagrant and Docker on his Windows machine. Yes. So, yeah, I'm curious. That's a, It is a misconception issue. It is 100%. That is not what this is for. What, so explain. What, what is what not for? This is not to run Linux applications on a Windows machine. This is to manage your Windows machine with a, an Ubuntu shell. Manage so Windows when machine. I pop open my shell, yeah. my, my Ubuntu WSL shell, and I type Skype, Skype launches. Right. It's the Windows Skype. Okay. When I type Vagrant, Vagrant launches. It's the Windows binaries of Vagrant. Okay. Right. When I'm running VirtualBox and I say Vagrant talk to VirtualBox, it's using the Windows binaries. I'm commanding them from an Ubuntu shell. Hey. Now... Is that the if only option? Is that I'm sorry to interrupt, but is that the only option you have? Is there not a way to? No, that's not the only option. You can get Vagrant and Docker uh, native Ubuntu Deb packages working, but the whole argument is that's not what this is for. You're not supposed to go through that gigantic hassle. This is just a terminal that gives you access to rough. Linux applications like sed and awk and ls it lets you run the mysql client or maybe the server but when you start getting into stuff like virtualization uh or interaction between multiple components you should be running the windows native binaries you shouldn't be running the ubuntu binaries inside of the wsl container okay. uh, those are high-level applications that require interactions with the kernel that just really don't work correctly at this point. Um, and what I've seen it compared to is it's like running Wine on a Linux system, where, yes, you can run Windows applications, but you're not running Windows. Mm -hmm. You're running a Windows emulation or not emulation, but a Windows logical layer. It isn't Windows, and stuff's not always going to work. But it has the interoperability with the Linux system where you can send information back and forth between the two things. So it isn't exactly the dream that I was thinking of, but that's because I'm not running Ubuntu as a VM. Now, if I wanted to run my Ubuntu VM, I could go ahead and do that. But that's just not what WSL is. WSL is just a logical layer that breaks Ubuntu out of its normal cage. It breaks it out of Windows and puts it into what's called a Pico service sandbox. Um, or a Pico process. And these Pico processes don't have to interact with the user land operating system they can, they can interact directly with the kernel. And this whole idea of subsystems actually started in the Windows NT era with OS2 Warp and POSIX. Hmm. 
And that's kind of what we're back to, where it's a non-Windows native application that can run through the Windows kernel. So I went through this whole rabbit hole where I was like, how do I get this working? How do I get this working? It's partially working, it's barely working, it's doing a little bit of thing correctly, it's not doing it correctly, until I ran across somebody just saying, I understand everyone wants to get Vagrant working in WSL, but that's not the point of it. That's not what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be doing Vagrant up from in WSL, but that should be launching the Windows services. It should not be launching Ubuntu binaries. So how, how do you feel about it? Do you, do you think maybe that this is less useful to you now or? It, it isn't less useful. It's just an interesting turn of events. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a different, it's, it's apples to oranges for me. It's, it is not what I had initially envisioned it as being, which is my fault and possibly the fault of the Microsoft marketing team for not really laying out what this is for. Um, there are a lot of documents on what WSL is and none of them are really clear until you start really digging down on the technicals of how it works. Uh, but it's, it's for assisting development inside Windows, not for turning your Windows machine into a Windows plus Linux machine. Um, so I've, I've had to roll back a lot of the stuff I did. I, I spent a couple hours trying to get Vagrant and then all that, all the other stuff working and filling up my hard drive with disk images that failed to boot, stuff <laughs> like that. Uh, are, are, you, is, are you sticking it out though? Or are you still on the Windows platform? I don't even I don't even notice that it's Windows except for the taskbar placement. Um, I've been really pleased with the stability, the performance. It, okay. The, the, I mean, my initial problem was the fan turning on and going full blast when I was doing nothing. Mm -hmm. And then from there, the computer started to just lose performance. And so that's why I got a copy of Windows, was to hopefully fix the laptop's fundamental problems. Mm -hmm. And it did. Well, so I'm good. very pleased with that. Okay, so once you got your head conceptually around the way that this is used, you're fine with it at that point. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm very happy with having a, a Windows machine. The only thing is that Synergy doesn't want to play nice with the uh, forward and back mouse buttons, the number four and number five. But I can live with that. That means you have too many buttons on your mouse. <laughs> I have. I there's have always, a gesture. There's always supposed to be a left. Always supposed to be left and right. I have a gesture pad on my mouse. So do I. Tom has a nev so, yeah. never-ending battle with synergy. He, he he can't not use it, but he's not gonna like it. <laughs> I know. Uh, cool. Cool. So, uh, I don't know, uh, John, I don't want to steal your thunder, but I do think we should talk about Depend Dependabot. And this is not a male diaper service. This is an important, this is an important Although stuff. it could be. Huh? Oh, we, although that's a good idea. It could be. You, you, what do you mean steal my thunder? Not my thunder. Well, you, you, you mentioned you wanted to I talk would... about it. Oh, no, I just, I saw it the other day, and I, 
I think because you added it to some of our repos and I started looking into it. So Dependabot, a service available free on GitHub, right? Get, GitHub, GitHub purchased it. It used to be a paid service, and then GitHub purchased it and made it free for anybody on GitHub. Oh, really? Yeah. I did not know yeah, that. Yeah, that was, that was the thing. I mean, I knew it was free because that's when I saw it, but I didn't know it used to be a paid service. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't seen anything come of it on the the one application I've added it to. I don't know if I've got it misconfigured or or anything. Uh, I've seen pull requests come through on some of our other projects. Okay, what is it? So, so it it is a service that watches your repo. I guess checks it on a regular basis, looking at your composer. And does it do any other? Does it look at npm yeah, as well? Yeah, it does both. So it's looking at your dependencies, Dependa. So looking at your dependencies, looking for security vulnerabilities or up upgrades. And I think there are it, multiple options. In the one way, so this is the, this is the jQuery email I get every day. Right. Well, well, it depends because GitHub uh, GitHub was doing this by itself. It would it would it would alert you of. Of vulnerabilities you had in dependency packages, Dependabot takes it a step further. It will not only alert you, but it will automatically open up pull requests. So if it's able to resolve your dependency issue, it will resolve it and open up a pull request for you in your repo without any without you having to take any other action but merge it. Well, that's handy. Yeah, that that's the that's yeah. the crutch of it. And uh, they they support they support Ruby, JavaScript, Python, PHP, Elixir, Rust, Java, .NET, Go. I mean, just about the whole gamut of things that you would have on GitHub. Uh, they have uh, they have support for. So uh, it'll be in our show notes, but it's uh, dependabot.com. If if you have GitHub, you've probably been prompted to uh, to look at it already, anyways. I, I I think I need to turn it down. I mean, I just I just immediately opened it up on all our all of our repos, and you know now we have a steady flow of uh, PRs out there that we need to look at. I merged a couple, um, so but yeah, it's it's nice nice little tool to have. Sorry, John. What does it when it opens a PR the next time it checks? Does it know a PR has been open and not? open the same one that's a great question uh i that's the behavior i've seen it so probably it probably hashes it yeah so it it has not opened i i have existing prs out there from it and uh it has not opened up another pr and it not only has it not opened it i think i think it even sends the email it sends says hey just a reminder this pr is out there it doesn't send the whole hey we we we, we found a vulnerability we found a vulnerability it is a little bit more. Hey, you know, just a reminder: you have this PR open for this issue. Hmm. I'm still shocked that I have it added. Maybe it just doesn't have access to the repo because I still haven't gotten any emails or uh, pull requests open by it. So I noticed on so a cup. I'm gonna have to go look. So at I'm it. looking at it now, and I notice. See. I, I I don't know if there's a configuration. Oh yeah, there is a configur- I think I think this might be new. So the first time this this worked for me, it was all magic. It just happened. 
I noticed this today that uh, I had a vulnerability on one of the repos, and I, I just clicked into it, and it's given me the option to open up the PR, which is what I expected to do, but I'm wondering why it didn't do it, and then I, I see now there's actually a drop-down that says uh, automated security fixes are on or off. So it looks like either GitHub just recently added this in the last week, or I don't know if I had this configured differently on a different repo, but you do have to actually enable the automatic fixing of uh, of of your repo. Hmm. But it should it should yeah, still be more, more giving research. you a big if you go to the repo it should give, be giving you a big splash on the front of the repo saying hey we found vulnerability issues here. Hmm. Oh, check it out. Mm -hmm. So cool, man. Well I've got one more thing that I think we need to talk about. Lay it out there. Uh, WWDC. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Before we get down WWDC, I need to give a thanks to our, our patrons because we have new patrons and I have not been adding them to the list. And so I added them to the list and I think it's important to say thank you very much. To, to all. Yes, thank you very much to all our Patreons. Thank you. Our, our list is getting bigger. And I'm going to, again, I keep saying I'm going to take that money and we're going to get a uh, standardized uh, opening and closing for our uh, for our podcast. I just have been a little busy and haven't had a chance to go on Fiverr and find somebody with actual talent to do it. So I'll try to get to that uh, maybe this week. What's well, Fiverr? Hey, I, I always get, we always do our intros on Fiverr, man. Uh, we did. That on uh, the PHP podcast, uh, which was pretty good, and uh, I used Fiverr somewhere else. I forget where else I used it, but I don't know. Not bad. I mean, it's never five dollars. It always ends up being like you know, a hundred and something dollars if you want good people. But oh, yeah, well, there you go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you still it's, pay a hundred hundred. You still pay for the talent you want, but you can find a couple of five dollar people on there. Is that really where the name came from? I had no clue. Yeah, yeah, you used to be able to ask anyone to do stuff for a $5 bill, and people would auction themselves to do it. For, for $5? Yeah. All right. Hmm. Yeah, it's a little, little, little more pricier now, but, but worth, well worth it. Well, well cheaper than, you know, going to Craigslist. Much cheaper than a new Apple monitor. Or even a new Apple monitor stand, or even a new Apple vase mount. Yeah, that was a little crazy, right? Uh. So I want to get into the monitor first. Okay. the The reality is that this this new six thousand dollar monitor that they have is competing. God at, damn. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's, it's competing. It's, isn't with, it like eight K or something? No the the issue here is the the native uh, MIP, which is the, the per-pixel brightness, and the color depth and color accuracy. So the, the closest competitor in this market is, I believe, currently $40,000. Um, so when, when Apple says this is a $6,000 monitor, they're saying that the only thing better than the $6,000 monitor is a $40,000 monitor. This is targeted at professional photo editing studios, professional 
visual effects and film editing. Um, yeah, but end of day, people were not happy about the fact that the stand was being sold separately. Like, so that's that's what the, thing, the is hell. That what happened is they targeted the wrong market. When you're looking at buying a, a red 4K camera or 8K camera, it starts at $20,000, and that doesn't include any way to power it on. Yeah. Because that's the way this market works. Uh, when you're looking at professional video and photo stuff, every single component of it costs another $1,000 on top of the base product. Um, They've also produced some kind of new magnetic mounting system that's not VESA. Uh, it can detect when the monitor's being rotated automatically, and it's, it does all sorts of cool magical stuff that would be really handy in a video editing suite. Um, but they showed it off to a bunch of developers and didn't explain that very well. No, no, no. I, I, I disagree with you because they showed it Right after they showed the new Mac Pro, which, oh my God, that's expensive. Like, <laughs> like it's also well, now the Mac Pro is on the other end of the spectrum where it's ridiculously expensive and stupid. But whereas the the monitor is ridiculously expensive and cool and and worth it, the Mac Pro is it's worth it not for your everyday user. Nope, not in, not in the slightest. Why do you say? Oh, it is okay, before six thousand dollar base unit, and the base unit comes with a two hundred and fifty six gig SSD, a completely underwhelming video card, and a last gen CPU. It is easily replaced by eight hundred dollars on the PC market, and they want six thousand dollars. Wow. So my point, um, my point being, when when they were introducing that, they were they were very clearly targeting the video production, photo production uh, market. And that led them into the monitor. So it's not like they said... their big mistake. Their big mistake was having WWDC introduce their whole new line of hardware that's targeted at a completely new audience that they were only tangentially going after before. They used to be the home photographer, the home video maker solution. But then once you wanted to get real with shit, you had to go to Avid and you had to go with these really high-end products that cost in the area of hundreds of thousands of dollars. Now they're trying to target this, this audience that they previously ignored, but they just did it at the same event they always do their normal crap at. And it's a huge backfire for them. Um, and, and yeah, the, having a stand, announcing the price of the stand on the stage was stupid too. Because what did they think they were saying to people? That this $1,000 monitor stand is a real steal? Yeah. I, I, like, yeah, it's a, it's a steal, but not in the way you would normally use the word. It, stealing. It was funny. If you're watching it live, the person who, who introduced it was visibly shaken by the booing going on in the audience. And I heard a rumor that Apple cut all the booing out. And, like, told news agencies, hey, don't show the clip of people booing the stand, or we're not, we're not going to be nice to you anymore. And that is true. I saw the original videos and the re-uploaded videos, and they clearly cut the mic. 
<laughs> the guy. And what, what was funny is like <laughs> when you're watching it live, I feel bad for for these Apple people because you know they've they've drank the Kool Aid. They live in a silo, and like really do, yeah. He's explaining it like. Yeah, the stand has all these awesome features, and we're only selling it for a thousand dollars. And people go, "Boo!" And he's like, "Wait, what? You what? You guys, you don't like that?" <laughs> it's like, it's like it, it never dawned to you that people were not going to be happy. You didn't even have to demo that. Like, you didn't even have to put it up on the big screen. People could have found that right. out when it, they went to buy happened. the monitor. <laughs> It had no place in the presentation whatsoever. It was just there because for some reason they thought that was a good thing to sell the point. Exactly. And it was not a good thing to sell. It's not a Rolex. Now, if you look at right. the if you look at the hardware inside of the stand, it's technically impressive. It's not just a spring and a gear. It's got this whole weighting mechanism so that you that you can put a 20 pound monitor on it and bend it at any angle and it'll just stay there it's very cool but why'd you put the price on it why'd you show why, us why why yeah. I, why the price at all it's like it's part of a monitor right i mean people need a, well, a stand. not not in this not in this industry though in the industry they they often have their own stands already right in I, the industry yeah. that they're targeting wasn't the people in the crowd and that's why right. they got booed. But the really? people they were targeting very quickly got on YouTube and said, "Well, you guys are you guys don't understand. That Apple conference just saved me $110,000. That's cool." But the people who were sitting there watching the presentation had no idea about this premium market for film studios that relies on $40,000 monitors. And monitors M that MK also don't come with a mount. Yeah. MKBHD did a a good talk about this and where he said they should have announced it as a $7,000 monitor and then without the stand, you know, we'll, we'll knock a thousand off. That's my point. Versus yes. that, that, in addition to. Yeah. Or, 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 or just some... like, like you said, just not, not stated at all on, on stage because when people go to buy it, that's when you bring that up. But this is, this is such a good example of of where Steve Jobs would just be rolling in his grave because it's such a gigantic marketing blunder that all anyone was talking about was a $1,000 monitor stand and they weren't talking about the, the one-quarter price monitor for high-end studios. They, the, the technology that they've put out there is revolutionary, but everyone missed it because they marketed it so poorly. Mm-hmm. And that's the opposite of what Jobs was known for. And then, do you do you remember any of the new features for iOS 13 that spent that the, the most of the conference was about? I I most certainly do no. not. I actually didn't see that. Yeah, I, I didn't see anything else come out of WWDC. So there's some new Animoji stuff, some new AR stuff. I do know that they uh, they're splitting the. They're recognizing now that the iPad is really becoming its own marketplace, and they're splitting. They're no longer trying to keep the iOS and the same operating system across the phone and the iPad, and they're giving the yeah. iPad its own version of it, which I thought was was good to good to see. 
there, there was a number of uh, features that have been native to Android for about five years, um, like quick sharing to frequently used contacts mm -hmm. and stuff like that. I mean, stuff where, as an Android user, I was watching it and thinking, what were you guys doing before? Yeah. Yeah, that's real common, actually. <laughs> that's, that's real common. Well, that's like the whole, it's still to this day, the whole Bluetooth thing. Uh, yeah, they they finally add uh, they finally add Bluetooth to the to the phone, and it's like oh yeah uh, or no I'm sorry NFC uh, they finally add NFC to the phone and they're like oh yeah but you can only use it for Apple Pay I'm like but yeah why but why <laughs> first thing oh I'm that was okay so that was the big thing that came out was sign in with Apple yeah and what a huge nothing that that is. But to people in the Apple world, that's a big deal. It's like, wait a minute, I can have they, a single sign-on now? They think it is. They think it is. But the reality is, is that it doesn't provide any additional security, and it doesn't provide any additional obfuscation. Mm -hmm. uh, so the whole thing is that it creates a dynamically generated email address that points to Apple's email servers and then forwards it to you Yeah. if you get spammed by it. That doesn't stop anything. Mm -hmm. You're still getting the email. You still have to say, this is spam. It, it doesn't help. Yeah. I, I, it's, uh, and they were, I, they were really, really proud to announce that, uh, that now applications had to request permissions individually for your phone's systems. So they had to ask permission to, to access microphone and video. And, and I looked at my phone and I thought, huh, that's, I didn't realize that was missing. <laughs> I was like, yeah, uh, we've been doing that for years. What do you mean? Oh, yeah. right. I'm on a modern OS. Don't go, going back to the, the sign-on thing, I hadn't heard about that. So if it's working the way I think it is, I actually had an idea for this. I ran it by Eric couple years ago and just never did anything with it but they're generating an email address that can be used for sign-on right they're probably not allowing any email to go to that email except from where it's used so if you're if you generate it for it's per application actually so right you you can't even like you can you can go into your security configuration and block specific things that you had allowed so, like, it, it, you would get a, a a link at the bottom of any emails from this from this particular app that say, "Block this application's permissions." And if they had disseminated that that email address to any other company, it would be blocked as well. But right. the reality is, is that solves one problem that's not really a problem. Apps aren't using your email address to identify you on your phone, anyways. They're using your IMEI, and they're not sending you spam they're tracking your behavior with cookies it's they're solving a non-issue at this point i mean spam as much as it's annoying it's kind of a dead issue yep, yep. all right well i feel like yeah. this has been a good episode what do you guys think wrap it up we wrapping it up Yep. Oh, no, don't have any Sounds good to me. doom and gloom. Ep no, no, no. I'm, no. I'm looking. No. Wrap it up. None of that. 
Episode 155 is in the can. I am your wonderful host, Eric Jameson. Did you just call yourself wonderful? I am. That's allowed on this podcast. Nobody, nobody else does. I call you wonderful all the time. What are you talking about? Are you going to sign out or what? I'm John Congdon. I'm done. I'm out. I'm Tom Rideout. Keep it ugly. Keep it ugly. Thanks for listening to this episode of PHP Ugly, and thanks to our sponsors, the Diego Dev Group. If you're looking for developers who care about the code they create, the communities they build, and the solutions they implement, then reach out to the Diego Dev Group. You can find the Diego Dev Group at www.diegodev.com. That's www.diegodev.com. Show notes and RSS feeds can be found at www.phpugly.com. Follow PHP Ugly on Twitter at phpugly or join us in our Discord channel. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or in your favorite podcast listener. A rating of five stars is always appreciated. Until next time, keep it ugly.